You are listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, I know you're a Netflix and chill sort of guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're apparently in a golden age of television. Do you know that with uh, Netflix, Amazon, all these uh, new channels uh, commissioning new documentaries, factual documentaries and series in particular are probably better than ever. And there's more of them than ever. But is television doing justice to cycling? Are we in a golden age of cycling films and series? Well, I think we might be on the cusp of it with the Movistar documentary into its second series now. I thought the second series was a big improvement on the first. It was catering for a, a, a more mature audience in the sense of cycling fans who understood uh, the workings of the sport a bit better. It was, it was more in-depth. There was more light and shade to it. Um, but I think still the one weakness is that you're only seeing one team's perspective. And I feel this about the many football documentaries that Amazon and others have released where you're just inside one team that's great you get one perspective you get to see their ups and downs and there's a a sense of of seeing behind the curtain to some degree but there's still a lack of context a lack of depth which I think if you could get two or three teams together and tell the same story of perhaps one race or one series of races like the classics for example and see it from three different teams perspectives you'd see the kind of yin and yang of success and failure through um, you know different sets of eyes rather than just one team having a good day followed by a bad day what you're describing Lionel sounds very much like Drive to Survive the phenomenally popular uh, Netflix series on Formula One uh, which even for somebody like me not, not particularly interested in Formula One really opened up that world by being uh, really led by the, the people, the characters, um, and it's done a great job of humanising a sport that, from which it felt quite distant. And I think a lot of people have been asking, can an equivalent be made for cycling? I understand that ASO have actually engaged the, the same production company, Box to Box Films, who are here at the tour this year, with a view to making uh, an equivalent in cycling. The one problem with that is that it would need the teams on board, and there's always this uh, tension between ASO the teams and the UCI um, about basically who gets any money from projects like that and so I don't see it being as easy to organise as it perhaps it is in Formula 1 um, but who knows um, I mean there have been over the, the last decade or so some great examples of, of good uh, content being produced by the teams themselves, the most obvious example is Backstage Pass, what has been Green Edge Orica and there's now Team Bike Exchange we'll hear in this episode from Matt White and Luke Durbridge from Team Bike Exchange about the, the journey they've been on in, in documenting their story in film, what it's like to have cameras around all the time etc we're going to hear also from the people behind the Movistar series uh, The Least Expected Day it's called Unfortunately, I don't know that there will be a Series 3. We thought there would be, but um, it looks like that might not happen. We'll also hear from the man behind uh, what I think has been the best recent cycling documentary, series of cycling documentaries, the, the Tour of Flanders documentaries, which are feature length and really capture a 360 degree view of the race we see inside the team cars. We're with some of the riders, we're with their families, we're with the fans, we're with the guy that runs a bar by the roadside. 
it's a brilliantly put together um, documentary. They, they've been running since 2016. I discovered them just as lockdown started. I absolutely binged on them. They're fantastic. They're available on YouTube with English subtitles if anybody's interested in checking them out. We're also going to hear from Jose Luis Arieta, sports director, movie star, who, it's fair to say, doesn't come out of the, the least expected day uh, series two very well. Um, and he's been quite burned by that, and he told Francois a little bit about that. So there are the pitfalls, perhaps. But that's a trade-off, isn't it? If you're going to allow the, the cameras in, you've got to show the reality. You can't sugarcoat it, or you are shortchanging the, the, the people watching. And, and this is what you, you talked about, the All or Nothing series on Amazon. The problem is that you feel that, and in some cases know that, the teams have final say on what's shown and what isn't. And I, I understand that's the case with the Movistar series, as well, which is amazing given what we did see. But that's an uncomfortable feeling because there's a very fine line between PR and, and genuine storytelling. And a lot of the stuff that's produced by the teams or over which the teams have the final say are really PR rather than journalistic. Yeah, I also think with these documentaries where everyone gets to sit down after the fact and talk through um, the, the stories, there's greater scope for the filmmakers to kind of create characters from that material and then fit it back to um, the documentary footage that's shot. I'm not necessarily saying that's the case in the Movistar documentary, but I certainly I sympathise with Arietta because, you know, he kind of set himself up really as the, the obvious and easy kind of full guy really and I could understand if he once he'd seen the edit thinking oh I don't, I don't come out of that terribly well he can't be the only person um, in that team that you know looked a, not silly but looked um, like he's come up a little bit short here and there and so there's that there's that tremendous trust in the filmmakers at the end who are looking to make a story aren't they and that's I think that's where the difference between PR and journalism comes into play and why the, the filmmakers themselves have a tremendous responsibility to reflect reality as accurately as they can within the constraints of what the teams do and don't want to show it's a real tricky balance to strike and another one worth mentioning, Code Yellow, was the documentary that was put together from footage shot within Team Jumbo-Visma at the Tour de France last year. But the, the documentary was made by NOS, the Dutch channel. And that was very interesting because they showed certainly a side of Tom de Moulin that we maybe hadn't seen before. I understand de Moulin wasn't that happy with the results. And it's interesting that this year a documentary will be made again but it will not be made by Dutch television it will be in effect made by the team itself which is probably a pity but on the other hand the cameraman who they work with has worked with the team for many years the writers all know him trust him consider him a friend and that en enables him to get more access than, than somebody else might be able to get so it's, it's, a, it's sometimes a tricky balance and we'll hear from him as well in this episode but let's let's hear from the experts Lionel I mean, Rich, I'm so far behind with my binge-watching. We only just started Breaking Bad about a couple of months ago. Um, sort of just ten years behind on the Netflix phenomena. Better call Soler, as somebody suggested the Mark Soler spin-off should be. Luke Durbridge, Bike Exchange. I think it's all about the personality who's behind the camera. Early days back in 2012 when Dan Jones had the idea for Backstage Pass, he was sort of like one of our mates anyway, just an Aussie bloke who was pretty cruisy and, and, and we, we sort of trusted that we, he would never put anything up that, you know, made us look bad or we said something that we shouldn't have or something like that. So we sort of had full trust in, um, in that. 
And uh, look, we're, we're trying to promote the team. We're not trying to, um, you know, we're not trying to look for juicy stories or try and make some controversy or anything like that. It's just trying to tell a story of, of what you know, what it's most of the time like within the team. And um, now with Sam Flanagan, who's taken over from Dan Jones, it's the same thing. You know, he's just a, a good bloke, and, and we we trust him that he's uh, he's putting out the right the right image for the team. And and like you know, it's pretty much uh, it is always on, sure, but. Uh, you know, it's nothing really to hide. That's what we wanted to show. That um, can be quite robotic cycling sometimes, and there's nothing really to hide. There's a lot of good personalities within the sport, from staff all the way through to the top riders, and that's what we wanted to show. And um, we're a pretty open book as a team, and um, so to have the cameras on, it's not, it's not a massive issue. You know, of course, the, you know, people want to, fans want to see the raw emotion, you know, and that's for good or for bad. I think it's quite a good thing to sort of like. You know, we, this is the reality of it. You know, win, lose, or draw. This is the reality of uh, cycling. It's it's you sort of win, you lose most, um, lose more races than you win. So you know, the roller coaster is real, and um, yeah, we just want to take everyone on for that ride with us, and um, that's what that's what we're trying to show. Yeah, I think for cycling, it's something that's still, you know, with the net with the movie star one. I think it's still an, an open market there. There's still a lot of good stories to be told. So hopefully in the future we can have more of a it's good publicity for cycling and hopefully the teams can generate some revenue and, and we don't have to rely so much on uh, the sponsorship dollar, you know. Would you like to see a, a cycling drive to survive? I understand that the team from Drive to Survive are here. They've done a deal with ASO, so that it is on the on the table. Um, is that something you've heard about and would you like to see it? For sure I'd like to see it, but I also like to see the revenue come back to the teams, not to the ASO sometimes. So I just think it would be good that, uh, you know, we, we want to survive as a unit and uh, the riders and the organisation need to work together. So hopefully that, uh, that can come about. And, um, and it can be good for everyone. Matt White, Sports Director, Team Bike Exchange. Showing the inside of our sport would only benefit the sponsors and all the fans. People want to see that stuff. Anyone can watch the race on television. But it's going in behind the scenes and seeing, uh, seeing what's happening day to day is, is pretty exciting. And the Movie Star series, I think it's good. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's pretty raw. And uh, it shows a lot of how... It shows, I found it interesting to see how those guys operate. Yeah, they didn't hide it, Nick, which is uh, which is what people want to see. I think in our team we're pretty transparent and, and open, and, and the guys who who came had come to the team, we, we you know we started doing the backstage pass from day one, so everyone knew what they were in for, and I think it worked well for us on a few fronts. It gave it basically it was free media training for a few guys. You know, some guys were pretty shy and and pretty awkward behind behind the camera, and and what it did it, it helped those guys because Jonesy at the time you know, he was one of the boys, but he still had a camera, and then I suppose those guys sort of relaxed around him over time and then uh, they relaxed around other people when they were getting interviews. Yeah, we had some great success and, and he was able to capture that from uh, from inside and, and out. I'm Thijs Skypers. Uh, I'm a cameraman uh, embedded in the Team Jumbo Visma team. Uh, I'll be doing this for, I think, four or five years now. Yeah, you've got two cars in the race, so that's every day like six or seven hours uh, footage each car. We've got GoPros at the... Uh, the mechanics, the, the the people who are at the finish line. So that's also every day, like two or three hours. And then uh, the footage of my own camera. And that's like three hours a day. So if you're going to count this, it will be like six, seven hundred hours. Some cameramen do like the, the dramatic uh, scenes in the sceneries in the in hotel rooms afterwards, of course. Uh, and this year is really dramatic with all the crashes and the... Uh, also the, the crash in stage one with the, the OP and OMI uh, uh, sign. But it's not always nice to, to film the people you like. 
like Primoz and uh, how big this, this dream is for, uh, for, for him. And uh, you see the disappointment and uh, it's really difficult to, to be in his hotel room and not to be there, you know what I mean? So yes, it's, it's good for the, for the dramatic shots, but sometimes it's also nice to film uh, when they are, they are winning. Like, like last year, actually it was, it was kind of easy because uh, Primoz was riding in the yellow jersey for almost half a tour or something. You are listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Hey everyone, uh, Sam here again. So as an athlete with type 1 diabetes, the use of a continuous glucose monitor allows me to see uh, in real time my blood glucose level heading into the night before, uh, the morning off, the race and post-race. I can see in real time what my blood glucose levels are. Um, this is vitally important. It means that I can keep my blood sugar in range during the race uh, and it's such a game changer to be able to to see this live and to be able to track it so it for me it's uh it's really really great uh had a good day um management wise so really happy with that i'm Dirk van Eversel. i'm the senior editor for the flanders classics documentary films about two of flanders can you tell me the origins? I mean, the first one uh, was the hundredth Tour of Flanders, wasn't it? The Peter Sagan victory. I mean, how, how did that project begin life? Well, it all came about uh, with uh, a Flemish. Yeah, it's not a documentary series. It's it's um, a film that was made in uh, for a TV series, uh, which was uh, by Jan Elen, and he had the idea of making uh, a series, a TV series. Uh, that was based around that day in, in, in Flanders, the Tour of Flanders. So it was a fictional uh, series, TV series uh, with all the characters and it all happened on one day. And in the DVD box, there was an, an extra DVD uh, with that series, which just compiled the images from the team director cars and the race and everything they filmed. So they made a, a small mini documentary. Uh, the year, It was the year that uh, Fabian Cancellara and Tom Bonen, I think it was 2010, uh, had their famous fight on the the Capel Mur, and I watched that uh, that extra DVD, and I said to to our uh, production company boss, and I said, we need to make this every year. That's that's a great way to see that race again from the inside out. And after a few years, and then the 100th edition came about, and then we thought, yeah, we have to make this, and uh, we contacted some teams, uh, and everybody was really interested in uh, in making it. So that's how the series came about. And one of the, the, the great things about it is you're really showing the race from lots of different points of view. You know, we get the, yeah. the fans by the roadside, the family of the riders, the the riders themselves, the inside the team car is always great footage as well. Was that the idea? It was a kind of 360 view of the Tour of Flanders and, and the day as it, as it unfolds. Yeah, indeed. It was just... 
trying to show the inside of that that day that is uh, it's it's our national holiday for uh, as you can say in Flanders because our national sport isn't football it isn't basketball it's cycling and it's it's a day that the the, the whole region of Flanders comes to a halt everybody stops about a million people we are with 11 million Belgians and a million people are alongside the the road of the parkours and we wanted to see how it impacts riders how the the start comes about how they react the inside of the team bus uh, the team directors who are all nervous and just that that whole feel that look and feel of, uh, of of Flanders celebrating cycling from the TV guys who make the broadcast to the commentators who spend the whole day in the com box uh, commentating on the race and how everybody enjoys that day and has a little everybody who writes a little bit of the history of that race on t- on television during a, a normal tv broadcast of race it's always focused on the winners but in cycling there are 200 riders in a peloton and every one of them each one of them has his own story a crash uh, a puncture at the bad time a team director car who can't get into the way and that's not always shown on tv and that was the initial approach to to the whole project of the the flans classics uh, films just to, to let you see that the, there are maybe 200 stories that day and only one gets told and we wanted to tell or try to tell the whole of the uh, of the race how how have they been received i mean you've done one every year since 2016 how how have they gone down with the audience uh, the audience loves them. Uh, they're always really well watched. Um, we get a lot of other TV makers who always send little texts and say, uh, "Great show, uh, great, great to to watch the race." Also, riders like last year, for example, uh, we called uh, Lawrence um, Oliver Nelson and asked if we uh, he, we could follow his mother. Uh, during the race and or maybe some some teams uh, you can't really get in touch with the press officer and you just call one of the Belgian riders and you say we really need to get in touch and they just they make an effort they really make an effort so so the riders the directors most most of the teams really love the the effort we are uh, we're doing I mean you must have hundreds of hours of footage from the day I mean how it must be a huge job to to edit that down into the the documentary that we see yeah that's that's mostly the work of uh, of our directors uh it's it's been a team of i may think four directors who have each uh, done a race it's mostly you start with with the broadcast and you just edit the race into an hour and then you go and see what what are the key moments in the race and how does everybody react to that and then because we got over 70 cameras during were recording that day so 70 cameras times four to five hours uh, of film that that that's equals a lot of uh, mm. watching uh, tv but that's the the whole process you just you start with the race you you look at the key moments in the race and then you start going back into the, the to the cameras and then every year there are some everybody has to take uh, a lunch break or a toilet break or something like that and you just scroll through all the team cameras and see okay when are they eating and then you collect all those little pieces so they're all building blocks that uh, come together do you have a favorite moment from any of the i mean do you have a, a favorite film do you, is there one of them that stands out for you and do you have a favorite scene a favorite moment um it's not so much a moment but i really like dirk meersman team director of uh, Trek Segafredo and uh, he was the, he's the dad of uh, Johnny Meersman mm. a former uh, quick step rider who uh, retired a few years ago the way he reads the race he knows every corner of the of the parkour and like a few years ago when Alberto Bettiol won 
and everybody got really surprised like oh bet who is betiol he predicted on the uh on the outer Kreuzberg that's the winner and the way he reads the race it's it's really interesting so not really a favorite moment but a, a, a favorite character in the in the documentary series who is one of the guys we call every year so uh did a can we put a camera in your team car because uh he's he's invaluable for for us you know we're seeing this kind of explosion in in tv it's a golden age for for television with mm-hmm. netflix and amazon and everything and we've cycling fans have all been enjoying the the movistar series i mean do you think the potential in cycling to create more you know, Flanders, the Flanders documentaries are a great example of what you can do, providing people with an alternative view of the race and really taking them inside the race. Do you think that cycling is kind of ripe for, you know, a drive to survive type series, the Formula One series? It's it's hard to say because uh, in 2016, we made, uh, we followed the quick step team uh, during the entire year. So even before the the Mobistar documentaries and series uh, and stuff like that. We already got inside. We followed the, the whole team for, for the entire year. And that, at that moment, social media was, they were, they were getting it, but it wasn't as, um, as dominant within the teams. I, I started to mention that from that day on, they, the teams really got involved with um, generating money and generating a fan base on a different way. So it's harder and harder. It's become harder and harder to get access. Like with the Flanders documentary films as well, when we started out, the teams just said, okay, make something of it and, and we'll see it on television. Now each year, every team gets a preview, gets uh, a say in what can be shown, what mm. can't be shown. It's getting more difficult. I would really love to see uh, a drive to survive with several teams and with other teams. And it will be hard mm. to get everybody on board, really get the access like we got in 2016. Like you really need to have the team boss say that the camera team has all access. At that year, we got a really good talk with Patrick Lefebvre and he said, okay, if you guys want to make this, you get all access. And like in the Tour de France, when things weren't going good, you need to be in the room mm. when the, when Marcel Kittel is, is fuming at his uh, teammates and when the directors are trying to get everybody on board in, in creating a, a group again and if the doors get shut it's it's difficult but let's hope so you really need to have Onzue with Mobistar if he says we're making a documentary and we can show everything then you can make a program if it's somebody else it gets more difficult like with us in Tour of Flanders as well the last few years we've been seeing teams being more hesitant to to show control like a team like Ineos have never granted us access into their team car uh, a team like Jumbo Visma has now taken on his their own production company and we need to negotiate rights image rights with them so it's it's getting more and more difficult and the teams are more and more aware of the the power of the cameras in, in the team cars. My name is Mark. I have been working in Movistar Plus TV during eight years. And I have the great opportunity to direct El Día Menos Pensado with, with my boss, José Larraza. And, pues, muchas gracias, ¿no? Por, por todas estas palabras, porque al final la esencia de, de estos dos documentales es... Thanks a lot for your kind words, because the essence of this series is being able to show everything, warts and all. The series was conceived a few years ago when the head of Telefónica España, Jose Maria Álvarez Paletti, who got to watch a team time trial at the Tour de France from inside one of the following team cars, 
He fell in love with what he saw and thought that everyone deserved to have a chance to see it. From that moment, we were tasked with making a documentary. That then turned into a full-on docu-series. Originally, it wasn't due to be on Netflix, but an agreement was reached. And that turned out to be great because what Jose Maria wanted to show to the whole world was done. And I think we managed to produce something very realistic. We didn't really think of making it in the style of any other programmes, but then the Formula One documentary appeared and plenty of people compared our show to theirs. To that I always say the same thing. We wish we'd had the same budget and also the same relationship with ASO, the Tour de France, the Vuelta a España, that the makers of that show had with the FIA, because all of that would have made things a lot easier. But no, we didn't really base our documentary on any other show because we wanted to keep it in the style of how we do things at our channel, Movistar Plus. We'd love to see a Tour de France version of Drive to Survive. It would be spectacular to be able to have a camera in the Enios car, another one with Jumbo Visma, and then in the Bora Hansgrohe car too, and be able to see how a stage unfolds with all the decisions made, like we've seen with Movistar. If it were up to me, we'd start right now, as it's all about to begin with the tour and everything. But for the time being, we haven't reached an agreement with anyone to continue doing this, but I think that the audience would be thankful if we could. With Movistar, it's been quite easy. They've allowed us to tell their story because we explained to them what our project was about. But having to do that to the UCI, each and every team, to their respective bosses and sports directors, the star riders as well, and then for everything to work out well, it would be a mouth-watering challenge, and I really wish we could, because if we don't manage to do it, then sooner or later someone will. If there's a specific problem in cycling, it's that it doesn't happen in the same place, it doesn't happen in a stadium. It's a sport that continues to move around and on the roads of a country, exposed to the changeable weather conditions. The stages are really long, and therefore it's very difficult to be able to record everything. In terms of filming, we have a small team trying to capture long days and many hours. If you think about football, it's 90 minutes long. If you film there and a team gets to the final, then that's maybe seven or eight matches, and that's not really a lot. At the end of each Grand Tour, we get back with so many minutes of video rushes, and we need lots of time to look at every second. And we promise you that we do watch every last bit of footage, every bit, every hour, more than a thousand hours. And that's the most difficult thing, selecting the best to tell the story with the protagonist. It's difficult, but that's a beautiful part of the trade. Taking Series 2 as an example, we began in the month of June when the new revised calendar came out. We began to film the team meetings as they were planning the season restart. And the last things we recorded were the interviews in January. So we're talking about seven months of filming, obviously not continuous, but from start to finish and total work, well, another eight or nine months because we get the Giro images and then we work on those. The same thing happens with the Tour and then the Vuelta. After that, it's down to the final editing, which is about two or three months of work, really enjoyable work. I think many protagonists surprised me. In the end, we feel like those people who kidnap someone and develop an affinity for them because we see so much footage of them, get to know them and their mannerisms and everything. Many surprise me. For example, Marc Soler really surprises me. He's a cyclist with a strong character. He always has an opinion and gets you talking. He doesn't keep quiet. He's a character who surprises me because he's hyperactive. He acts like a clown and is funny. Then there's Enric Mass. The second series was the first time we came into contact with him. Enric surprised me in the way that he's switched on, a worker, so methodical, and it's amazing how he withstands the pressure. I didn't know him, he's from Mallorca, like me, and I expected him to be completely different. I didn't think he'd be like that at all. Such a young guy, a mature 25-year-old with his head screwed on, and he knows what he wants to achieve. We got to know Pachi Vila too. I already knew he was studious, but it's surprising the way he changes the ideology of the team. He comes to a team that's traditionally been a family with new ideas and a different way of working. The team is 40 years old and having done things a certain way, they've had success. But along comes Patchy with modern cycling and Watts, 
while peaks of form have been consigned to history. And all of that surprises me. When they signed him, it surprised me, but I understand why. And he's a new character to add into the mix in this second series. It's a challenge, but in the end, what we try to achieve is a bit of empathy between the characters and the audience at home. If you get to know Enric Maas and find out what's going on in his head, or if you develop the same connection or affinity with Eusebio Unzue or Jose Luis Arrieta, the sports directors, you sitting at home, you develop a personal interest in their highs and lows, and you begin to bother less about why someone is pulling at the front of the bunch or why this or that happened. The people who don't know much about cycling become more bothered about the personal side. Well, Francois, we've heard from the director of the Movistar Netflix series. You spoke to Jose Luis Arrieta, one of the sports directors who arguably came out of the series worst in the sense that a lot of his decisions, his tactics sort of backfired and were slightly ridiculed. And you spoke to him the other day. Yeah, and he, he actually, I, I told him, well, actually, you know, the, the, the Netflix series made you look like a nice team and then and even you ended up looking like, like a nice guy just human you know and uh, and he said he didn't like it at all he was very very uh, kind of angry he's not an angry guy you know he's a very calm withdrawn character and he told me you know I, I don't have a Facebook account I don't have an Instagram account I try to keep away from the social networks and all of a sudden I find myself kind of thrown uh, uh, you know to the to the to, to, the, to the public in a, on YouTube and he said he really uh, suffered from that and resented it and was not really ha happy about it and, but then he said well there's nothing I, I, I can do about it uh, just you know just go on and try, try to do you know my job uh, as best I can but yeah you could tell he was really hurt by the, by, by the film by the way that he was depicted I suppose in the film yeah, and, and also I think just to be exposed, you know, in in a, it's a very kind of withdrawn character. He doesn't like to be in the in the spotlight, in the limelight, and and because of the film, all of a sudden he finds finds himself, uh, you know, out of his in, intimacy, out of his kind of secretive life, even a, even a sports director, and and on top of it, uh, well, a little bit ridiculed. So uh, you know, he, he really. I, I tried to tell him, you know, really the team, uh, you know, in the, the, the series, it really looks better, you know, there's kind of an empathy to it, uh, all the, the comments I had about it were, were positive, but he said, yeah, but not, not, but you could feel that not only had he been exposed, you know, to, to, the, to the rest of the world, but in the, in the same kind, in the same time, not in the, in the best light, so, yeah, no, he looked really, you know, yeah, angry about it, like, like well, like it just, you know, kind of over, overcome a kind of a, yeah, he, I, I don't know if he had intentions to complain, or he's, but he's not that kind of guy, you know, he's a very kind of silent, once again withdrawn, and uh, I think he kind of suffered in silence, and, and probably no, nobody had asked him about it before, and he, when, I, when I told him that, he kind of said, oh, oh God, oh, no, oh man, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, no, he, he was not very happy, that's for sure. He'll not be in favour of a third season then. Maybe, but he tried to stay in hiding, you know, because this time he'll be warned. So I suppose this kind of film, it works well the first time because, you know, you kind of get, you know, caught off guard. But I'm sure he'll be on his guards, this, you know, next time around. You've been listening to an episode of Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens. This episode was produced by Will Jones.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.